when your partner hears 90% of the time, you're not doing something correctly, you're not doing this right, and you're not making me happy, that's really hard on a relationship. In my professional field, I help people make lifestyle changes, and it's very hard to make changes from a place of shame. Hi, welcome back to Soul Speak. I'm Meg Michelson. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a wonderful adventure, and I'm still enjoying every single um, podcast we record. This podcast, we're going to talk more about the richness of true, authentic emotional availability and emotional vulnerability. With that, you know, first we have to learn emotional vulnerability so we can be emotionally available. That's the willingness and ability to address and articulate emotions in a healthy way. We don't always do it healthy, but that would be the goal in a healthy relationship. And so for us to do that, we have to understand, acknowledge where we are, our own emotions with ourselves, and what's triggering us and what is not. And of course, vulnerability requires emotional exposure. All of those things that we want to sometimes hide and run away from, but it's important to Continue to pull back those layers as we talked about for more lovely, encouraging, beautiful, love of self, self-awareness. Why? Because relationships can become very rich, so much more rich, and feel so much safer when we allow ourselves to understand how to be emotionally vulnerable in healthy ways versus unhealthy ways. When we're emotionally available in healthy ways, we create really lovely, healthy connections with people, healthy emotional connections. And of course, as we talked about, the more work we do within, the easier it is to get back when we fall. So with all of that being said, today I would like to introduce a special guest and dear friend of mine, Dr. Rania Dempsey. And Rania and I have both worked through some pretty challenging emotions in our lifetimes. And some of those we've been blessed to work together on. We've known each other about 13 years, and we all need good friends. Now, when I look at my journey over the years, I am so blessed to have dear friends that I get to explore all of this challenge with. And she and I have also recognized that we've had patterns of being too emotionally available. We might be emotionally available or think we're being emotionally available, but when actuality, we are not creating a safe container for our own emotions, much less the emotions of our partner. So today, we're going to speak to this, what that journey has been, and what's our learning through that. Rania is a, a lovely, lovely woman. Everyone that knows her just um, loves her. So can you tell me a little bit about when you started to notice your journey with recognizing your emotional path, or even if you want to go further back than that, the pre-recognizing, wow, I I'm, I'm really need to get to know myself. Well, first of all, I have to say thank you so much for having me. I've loved listening to your podcast. Um, I've told you this personally, but when we have the when I'm listening to it, I feel like we're having a conversation. So it's really cool to actually be here and be having that actual conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. But yeah, I think you and I as as friends have shared a lot about wh how are we being emotionally available and not, and how if we thought we are and not being. Um, and so I think 
going way back in a lot of the relationships I've had. Um, I think I spent the first many years of my life blissfully um, not really thinking about whether or not I was available emotionally or not and whether my partner was available emotionally or not. Um, in retrospect, probably or definitely neither one of us were. I know one of the reasons that my husband was very attracted to me in the beginning was that I was so strong and independent and didn't seem to need anything from him, um, which I think was in retrospect, something I was setting up because I was afraid of that emotional vulnerability and of that intimacy. Um, and somewhere in our marriage, I started probably craving more emotional connection and more um, emotional intimacy, but yet having no idea how to ask for it. And this led to some really unhealthy and inauthentic things in our marriage that almost blew our marriage up. And I think that experience was a real wake up call for me that, okay. I think I'm healthy and I think I'm doing things well. I had up to that point really believed that I was a really well-adjusted person who had my act together and was I was a psychology major in college and I just thought I understood human emotions and and what made us all tick and I realized that I had to do some really hard looking at myself around why had I gotten into this pattern of in, inauthenticity and of doing things in a way that that I thought was healthy that really led to some very unhealthy behaviors. So I sort of made a commitment to myself at that time, okay, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to share what my needs are. I'm going to only ever share what's true for me. I know a lot of the problems we had been having in our marriage had stemmed from me not being able to ask for the intimacy and the connection that I wanted and that emotional vul vulnerability that I wanted from my partner. And so I um, made a vow that I was going to be fully authentic and um, even that, I ran into a lot of trouble with that I, because I believed. I believed that I was being available emotionally. I believed that I was being authentic, but I actually just slipped into a different pattern, which was sort of over-functioning for us both emotionally. So I would say, we're not communicating well, and here's what I need you to do, and here's how I need you to be, and here's how I need you to change, and here's what it looks like if we're going to be a happy, healthy marriage, and so I need you to do these five things. And I thought that I was being overly, or I didn't think I was being overly, I thought that I was being emotionally available. Really what I was doing was um, expecting him to change. And again, not looking at, at my own self. Yeah. Um, and that is such, all of us make those mistakes. Because when we are starting to learn that we're craving something, first we have to identify what it is we're craving, which you were recognizing. And then it's, now, how do I get there? Well, if I'm never taught, and it's not, it hasn't been talked about a lot in our culture. Now, of course it is. Now it's out there everywhere. And even then, unless we have a good friend or a trusted partner or a great therapist that will say, well, is this really being healthfully, emotionally vulnerable? Or are we going down the path of not creating that sacred container? And that's where it gets pretty tricky. I, I thought that I was sharing my needs. I thought that I was authentically saying, I need more connection. But really what I was saying is, I need you to be different. And that that's not sharing myself. That's not sharing my needs. And it also really, you mentioned making a safe space for the relationship to be healthy. I wasn't, what, when your partner hears 90% of the time, you're not doing something correctly. You're not doing this right and you're not making me happy, that's really hard on a relationship. And they've, it's very hard, actually, 
in in my professional field, I help people make lifestyle changes, and it's very hard to make changes from a place of shame. And so, for always telling someone they're not enough, or they're not meeting our needs, or they're not doing what needs to happen for us to be happy, I think it's extremely difficult for the relationship to be healthy. That's beautiful. I want to add to that because in other episodes, we've talked about that wounded child. Each one of us carries woundedness from our childhood, whether it's big or small. A lot of us don't even recognize it. And so when we are not creating a safe container, that woundedness, so say I'm yelling at my spouse or demanding from my partner and they're like, well, I don't even know like how to do that, much less now I'm feeling small. What's the use? Why would I even bother? So then we go back into that pattern of that wounded child. And we, you know, in a partnership, we want the other person to be as caught up as we are. And, and then they're not. And then they're not. Or we think we are in a different place, like you were saying. And now it's navigating not only my woundedness, but my partner's. And then to become all emotionally vulnerable in a healthy way through all of that muck. So how do you navigate that? Be willing to be vulnerable. I, I guess it, for me, it came down to that I had to trust that that the love was there. And I I intellectually believed it was, but I had hung so much on if he listens well, he loves me. If he does these five actions, he loves me. If he acts interested in my day, he loves me. Even though all partners don't express love in the same way. Um, that's why, you know, you and I love to have long conversations and we can talk about anything for hours and hours. Not all humans are that way. And it's, I realized it's, it wasn't fair of me to hang a conditional, if you love me, this is what it's going to look like. That's not fair for us to do to anyone else. And I wasn't making space for him to show me what his love looked like for me. And so as I said, well, what if I just trust that he loves me and let it, let it unfold? the way he shows me and stop trying to ask for these 10 specific things that I need. What would that feel like? And what would that look like? And it was amazing how, when I made that space for both of us to, to stop demanding, you know, that it be a certain way, it be the way that I want it to look. All of a sudden I actually was feeling it in other ways that I had never, I'd felt very unloved and unappreciated and unseen when I was asking for it in the ways that I thought I needed to receive love. Um, so, yeah. And I, and I thank you for, for saying all of those things and being vulnerable. And I want you also to tell our listeners that when you were doing this work on your marriage, you were already had been doing a lot of self work. So in order for you to have that space and even the emotional intelligence to understand that, wow, I've got to do some excavating here. Yes. I actually think it, it, we didn't turn a corner until I stopped trying to work on our marriage and really just said, I'm just going to work on myself. I, I can't. And I don't know if I came to that point out of frustration or out of wisdom, but at one point, I think it was a little of both. I, you know, I realized the only thing we can change is ourselves. We cannot change another human being. My only hope of getting what I need is to 
to create that space myself, not not from trying to make someone else be that way, but making sure my life is full. Really, this stemmed from my own realization that I am asking my partner to be different because that's easier than looking at what I need to do myself. And once I made that hard decision that I needed to look at what I need to do myself and for my partner to do the, the work that he had to do himself. I, I would say our individual work is, if anything, almost more important than the work we did on our marriage. Absolutely. Because that true authenticity comes when we are first emotionally available to ourselves and, and authentic, you know, true emotional availability where we are allowing ourselves to understand that it is okay to have needs. First, let's wake up. And then we start to look at, all right, now how can I ask for this? Because this is important to me. And it's, it's in my belief, it's when we really do this work, which is a lifelong journey, you know, where it, this is a journey of layer upon layer. And it doesn't always have to be dreadful. It can be fun and funny too. And that piece of when we are in those spaces of now I'm ready to start asking for what my needs were in a different way, not in a demanding way. And you've done that journey quite well. So I'd love for you to, if you're willing, share some of that, how you were talking with your partner versus how you're now speaking your needs. Yes. It's, it's very interesting and very subtle how that's shifted. I used to be, um, and I truly believed that I was asking for what I needed. You know, I would say, um, I need you to listen to me or I need you to let, you know, to look, to stop reading when, when you say you're going to, so many silly examples, he'd have his head buried in his phone and I'd say, Hey, do you have a minute to listen? And he'd say, sure. And then he would keep reading his phone while I would still be talking or something. And I would say, I need you to listen to me. I need you to look at me while we're talking. And I thought that it was setting a boundary. And I think just shifting to saying what I was seeing and how it made me felt, made me feel, was much more effective at help at helping him not get so defensive. So now I would use language like, I see that you're still looking at your phone when I when you said you had time to to listen to me. I feel like listening to me isn't actually important to you. Am I, am I interpreting that right? Am I, am I, is that true for you? He'd say, oh my gosh, no, of course listening to you is important. I'm just, I'm spacey and I'm distracted or I should have told you to wait a second so I could finish this email or whatever was going on. But I think I've just shifted to maybe approaching it with a little more curiosity, which has allowed him to be less defensive and more sort of see, oh, you're right. It was kind of rude to tell you that I was going to listen and then, and then not listen, <laughs> you know, because that isn't okay. I mean, that isn't how we show a partner. We, we love each other and that behavior isn't okay in a partnership. But I think the way I was wording it previously led to sort of defensiveness and maybe it was a little more accusatory. Whereas now I just, I identify what I'm seeing and I, I say how it makes me feel and that can make space for for understanding and compassion versus defensiveness. I love that you said you asked in a way of curiosity. So we're under stress. The biggest gift we can give our body is an inhale and an exhale, and sometimes five, to reset. 
The same thing when we are trying to develop emotional intimacy in a healthy way with our partnership and with ourselves, we can't keep that train of talk going. We have to provide space for them to respond. And so in our history, we might say, um, well, you know what? You didn't have your phone and could you put your phone down or am I more important than your phone? And then it's soften the language. So now we start to soften. And then the next step is to create the space around it, like taking a breath and allowing the wonder. And in that, you were a little hurt. You're, you're not putting your phone down. And I would really like you to do that. Yet you asked it in a way that was not coming from the place of exhaustion or pointedness or You've learned how to do that language. And it doesn't mean you're going to do it perfect all the time because sometimes you're going to go back because we get to. But when we have built the foundation strong enough over time of more of the positives than the reactionary, more of the healthy response than the reactionary, it's easier than for our partner and I to negotiate and understand, oh, maybe she's just having a hard time or, you know, what I'm doing is not okay because, of course, it's both. It's always two people. Have you noticed with your partner how his reactions have changed as your, um, well, and his, I would say reactions and then his responses have changed (laughs) over time. And, And you can elaborate. We can start with your partner and then elaborate anywhere else in your life, work, kids, where we are once we start to learn healthy emotional availability, what happens to those those people that we sometimes didn't have great patterns with. Yeah, it's actually amazing and I I talk about this because it's been so such an amazing sort of tool, but I I don't like um even giving it the the name tool because that sounds like it's done to manipulate others and and that's not at all, but it's it has been amazing. I didn't make these changes because I wanted my partner to respond differently. I made these changes because I thought I needed to communicate more authentically, more vulnerably. I needed to do this to be a, a happy, well-adjusted, and and emotionally mature person. And so I didn't adopt this new behavior and this new way of communicating and new way of interacting with others to make anyone else be different. I did it for myself. And yet I found that it really does change the way that people respond to me in the in their interactions. So it allows a softening. Instead of making someone feel defensive or instead of feeling um, inadequate, which that's a word where a lot of times we're afraid to use the word inadequate, but really that's what we're doing to each other when we are saying, I need you to listen better, or I need you to be a better, you know, communicate better or have more conversation. We're saying you are not doing what I want, you are not enough for me. That's essentially, if we boil it down, that's the message we're sending when we when we word it that way. And so by softening and checking in with what what is it that I want and what is it that I need and how can I say that with curiosity and with compassion, it the response that I get back is so much more loving and <laughs> compassionate. Well, of, of course you're more important than work. Like that, it almost makes us laugh. Like we almost start, you know, chuckling about it because it's like, well, of course this isn't important. No, this is, this is just silly. And I, I was distracted and it makes a space for us to have some laughter and joy. And, and, and as you said, it doesn't 
go that way every single time. There are times when we we do still get defensive. We do still feel hurt. We do still have moments where we we don't do this perfectly as humans don't um, yeah. always. But it's I think you really hit on something when you said the more you have these positive interactions, the more we believe that this is our baseline. And so the more we sort of give grace to each other when when one or both of us will forget to go in with compassion and, and curiosity. I mean, and I've had the same, I've noticed the same types of interactions with my children where when I can really be authentic and maybe less critical of them and sort of less, why are you doing or not doing a particular thing? It, it um, opens them up to be more willing to talk with me, more willing to share, more willing to be vulnerable and, and to, um, to, to trust me with what's going on in their lives. So. And trust is a beautiful, you know, some people will say trust is a given. It's not. Trust is, and as we're talking about first learning that it's okay to have needs and trusting that process of the untwisting of the unraveling of all of the woundedness that got us to believe that it's not okay to have needs or it's okay to demand needs. A journey becomes much more beautiful when we recognize that it is always going to be those up and downs. But the more we allow ourselves to trust ourselves and come from that within into our partner space of, I trust that he does want to hear me. So once in a while, when he or she is not, I'm going to not fly off the handle because we have raised the vibration. We have raised the bar. And then we're going to dip sometimes. Every couple, because every human dips. And, and then also remember that it's so important to be checking in with how we're talking to ourselves, Because when we are talking in a lower vibrational way, in a poor way to ourselves, it's going to come out sideways at everybody else. So when you were doing your work on loving myself, it's easier then for you to respond with respect, respond with wonder, because you breathe more now. So when you look at the journey with your own children and your work and your friendships, all of that, and, and look at the relationship with your partner, was that all going on at the same time as far as you becoming more um, aware of where you were as far as your emotional authenticity, your availability, or is there still areas I'm working on this and now I'm working on this and then, and then I'm working on this. So I, I just want the listeners to understand what that journey is. Well, it's been a journey of, uh, you know, there've been a lot of ups and downs with making progress and then, you know, thinking I've arrived and then realizing, oh, nope haven't arrived. And somewhere along the way, I realized I don't think I'll ever truly arrive. I don't think this is something we arrive at. I think it's something we practice. So I'll always, you know, keep trying to, to do it as well as I can and, and get better and better at it. But it, um, it will be something that I'll never be perfect at. Um, and I think, I mean, the, I started working on it on, on this level of this way of communication and of being and of of opening my heart um, because of my marriage. And I mentioned because of a marital crisis. And it really 
spilled into, I think, other areas of life as well. When I realized how inauthentic I had been being to myself and to my husband in our marriage, um, and I started, I made a commitment to work on on that and, and being fully authentic in that venue, in that area. And then I realized this really applies to everything I do, to every relationship I have and to every, you know, with my children, with my friends. Um, and one thing, I, we've mentioned this um, just in our, our casual conversations as friends at other times, that was sort of a, a, an interesting uh, process to navigate because I had, I'd made this strong commitment that I was going to be authentic no matter what. I was going to share my truth with, with everyone and, you know, and make sure that I never told a little white lie, that I never held back truth. And so I was, you know, telling the cashier at the Century store about how my day had been down to the details of how sad I was about something or other. And, um, you had mentioned, over availability, being emotionally over available. And I think I maybe pendulum swung to that. And it, it again, not from a place of health, but because I didn't know yet how to be emotionally available in a healthy way. So I, I did the other extreme of what I had been doing and, and tried to be fully authentic. And during this process had to maybe look at all the different areas of life where we have opportunities to interact with others and to be authentic and realize that some require a more sacred and a deeper level of, of connection, not, not require, but, but, um, warrant some, some really are deeper. You and I have a friendship where we have committed. We will always share our authentic truths with each other and, we will not do things that if we're going to feel resentful, I will not give to you if I'm going to feel resentful because we've made a commitment that we will um, share what our truth is and not withhold in that way. Yeah. So when you look at your pattern with learning how to become emotionally available in a more healthy way, you started with the partner well, and then you went back and started with yourself. And then it was, this is just a work in progress again. And all of us have different areas where it's harder to ask for what we need, and then we can mask it within. So it can be pretty tricky because we feel like we're doing great, and then an area comes up, and we're not sure how to navigate that one because it's different than with the partnership. I mean, you might fart in front of your partner, but (laughs) you wouldn't do that at work. Well, you might. I mean, I guess it depends on where you work (laughs) because there is. There is a different, yet you still want to be emotionally authentic and vulnerable. We have to learn to ask for what we need. Maybe not with the checkout person telling her everything. And then they're, you know, that's part of our learning. A place that I think I'm still navigating this, this concept is in my professional life. Because I uh, feel very strongly that I want to be authentic. I want to share my truth. I want to not tell lies, not just not tell lies, but I want to, I want to be who I am. I want to be true to what my values are and and what I believe in. And that isn't always what's expected in a professional environment. So I have had some issues in, you know, contract negotiation or in um, talking about other professional situations where it's not expected that I would 
say exactly what my authentic truth is. And, and I, I don't know if it's the right or wrong answer. I don't, I don't know how others navigate this. I do still tend to err on the side of, of being authentic. I had a situation, um, probably 35 years ago where, and this was even before I was, had any kind of wanting to be emotionally available or, or committing to truth, but it was something I thought about uh, my, the way I interacted with humanity, I had a person come up and um, on the street and ask me for $40 and had a really good story about why they needed it. And I didn't want to, I didn't know for sure if this story was true or not, but this person seemed to really need help. And I gave them the money and they had said, I'll call you tomorrow to, you know, to pay you back. And they never called me back. So I, I realized I had been, you know, duped as they would say, but I didn't want to be, I don't want to be the type of person that's so cynical that I don't trust people. And so I personally made the decision. I would rather err on the side of trusting humanity than becoming cynical. So that's something I'm still navigating in my professional life. I don't know how that's going to unfold or in what way, you know, how that should or will look. But um, I guess that's something I'm still thinking about. And, and maybe that's the last area, not the last, but there will continue to be areas to work on. But that is an area that I need to keep uh, reflecting on and thinking about how that will unfold and what that will look like. And thank you, because really that is important for all of us to recognize. There are areas. Remember, this is like when you got a when you're making a snowman and you build the one ball and you have to keep rolling with it, and then you build the second ball, which maybe isn't as big, but you got to lift it up so it might not be easier. And then you build a third ball and you might have to go get a stool because you can't even reach to put the head on. That's how it goes with learning how to be emotionally, authentically vulnerable. There's all these different degrees. And in the workplace, we are hoping, I am hoping, we are hopefully shifting so we can be more authentic. And and like Rania was saying, authentic doesn't mean we spill the beans everywhere we go. It means when we feel like this doesn't feel right to me. Whether you're asking too much of me, I'm not getting enough time off. I really do feel like I'm being underpaid for whatever reason, or um, you're using my work and you're not providing me compensation, whatever that is, that's where we want to understand it's important to go there. And, and so, but that is yeah. sometimes the hardest snowball to put up there. <laughs> and because that hasn't really been the way in our workforce. My hope is that we are shifting that and those shifts are happening. It just sometimes takes a little longer, but there are people like you and me and tons of people out there that can continue to practice that. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Because emotional authenticity, truly being vulnerable to what I need and what I can give and what I can't is a lifelong journey. Anything else you want to add about your journey, whether it's home or work or friendships? or So when you are looking at your home life and how you and your partner were navigating all of that push-pull energy to get to know yourself and, and him to get to know himself, and then how do you come together in healthier ways as a couple? How did that go for the family and the kids? And, and how did you um, navigate that with your children, you know, as far as 
helping them understand the importance of it and the boundaries around it? Well, I think we both had maybe some guilt around not having done it better and, and realizing, you know, we had to really have self-compassion around that and, and sort of be, give ourselves grace and that we were doing what we knew how to do. You know, this is what we had learned as our, our wounded children. This is how we had been raised. And this is, these are the, the tools and skills that we had to navigate. And with our children, we, we came to them fairly, I mean, not fairly, completely authentically and said, we're trying to get better. We've, you know, we've not done this well for a while, for, for a long time, for the very, for, for the initial part of your childhood, we weren't communicating with each other well. We weren't sharing ourselves well, and we weren't making a safe space for you guys to do that either. And that's something that we want to be, that is important in our family. And we want to start doing that and we're not going to do it perfectly, um, but we're going to try and we want make a space in our, in our home and in our family where you feel like you can that's my dog, where you feel like you can share. And I love that because that, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, that that's back to that safe container. We create a lot of vulnerability when we stop reacting and learn to breathe and let other people share things that might be really uncomfortable. When I was younger, I gave my kids report cards when I was a younger mom. Um, and it was a vul- it was a vulnerable act, and um, it didn't always feel good when they would answer those truthfully. <laughs> I remember that's any- what we do for each other. Go ahead. Yes. Um, so I'm trying to distract the dog too. Um, I was going to share. I remember an experience when um, my middle daughter was in middle school, I think, and. Um, part of my prior sort of thinking I was emotionally available and yet really not being emotionally available was that I thought that I had to fix everyone else's issue and everything that, that happened. I thought that I was skilled at understanding. And so if anyone came to me talking, I could listen carefully and then I could just come back with the perfect solution for them. And, um, I think my daughter, we learned so much from our kids and my daughter was very upset and crying about a situation at school and i was holding her and letting her cry and and sort of realized oh my gosh i don't know how to solve this problem i i don't have an answer for her and sort of feeling really uncertain about what to do and i thought well i'm just going to hold her and let her cry and and just i guess i'm not a very good mom because i don't have an answer to give her and that was a breakthrough moment in our relationship, in my relationship with my daughter, and that she she cried in my arms for probably 30 to 45 minutes, just sobbed and just got it all out. And at the end, we felt closer. I felt closer to her. She felt closer to me than probably we had ever been. And it was the fact that I just let her, made space for her to to share what she was feeling. And and she was crying and talking and saying everything she needed to say. And I didn't, didn't have an answer, didn't have a solution, didn't come back with anything. And, and when you felt that fix it, cause then you th- feel like, well, I need to solve this. You made yourself very emotionally available and vulnerable. 
just by creating that space. And first you felt the leap in your throat because you wanted to fix it. And then you felt a little bit like a failure because you couldn't. And you didn't push through that in a forceful way. You just allowed it. And listeners, that's where we want to go more. We want to go to those places where when we have an event in front of us and our pattern is to rush in, true emotional vulnerability means, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) And that's okay. Exactly. We don't have to fill it in, but that's where the ahas come. That's where the connection comes because we're now aware, aware of we don't know and we're not supposed to know, but we can have a beautiful connection just by being there together and witnessing whatever that pain is. Well, thank you so much. It has been um, always, our journey has been wonderful and we'll work together in the future. We've worked together in the past. We'll work together in the future. Yes, we will. We will. Thank you so much. You're a lovely, lovely being. Thank you. And for everybody out there listening, thank you so much for being part of this journey that we're all learning together because life is really crazy and fun and beautiful and challenging and scary. And when we connect with a community, it can really make the world a healthier, brighter, and safer space. So thank you again for being here, and I look forward to next week. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me. If you want to learn more about me, services I offer, who I am, please check out my website, megmichelson.com. Also there, you can join my newsletter. I do a, the best job I can to send it out monthly, no guarantees. Follow me on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks again for coming. I'll see you next time.